What's the difference between a con artist and a regular artist? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a rhetorical question. There is none. Oh, I know. So we're back. <laughs> we are back. We never went away, actually. Never went away. We're here every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to wish you a happy Hanukkah. Don't jinx it. It's only starting to <laughs> n- tomorrow night. <laughs> oh, sorry, 20- but, but wait, but we're premiering this tomorrow. <laughs> oh, true. But if 2020 <laughs> has taught us anything, is that you should bite your tongue, make no <laughs> predictions. <laughs> May your house not smell like a Berlin kebab grease trap. <laughs> oh, and I'm I'm on a low sugar diet, so I'm not even gonna uh, indulge in a lot of sufganiyot eating this year. Uh, in previous year, when I was uh, teaching at shul, we would have a Hanukkah uh, carnival mm-hmm. um, with a lot of like activity stations and like candle making, and uh, the kids would make a they wouldn't make sufganiyot because that's like a fire hazard uh, and a potential of you ending ending up needing like skin grafts oh my god <laughs> well as someone who's frying po- uh do- ponuts <laughs> donuts regularly <laughs> polish donuts polnuts ponchki someone that's who's good, making that's a good name for your donut shack i think ponuts would be actually good <laughs> yeah not even ponuts but ponuts um yeah someone who's been making donuts all the time lately uh it's yeah it's dangerous i mean i'm a somewhat capable adult so i've managed it but i don't think anyone under the age of 18 should be making donuts <laughs> oh for sure <clears throat> oh my god um yeah so it's sure like carnival that you'd usually get uh these huge boxes of mini donuts because the kids are small but like as an adult you would just like be oh they're small i can have like 10 of them <laughs> Oh my god! Because um, they're like bite size and fit in your mouth perfectly, and uh, there's great jelly inside. I'm a strawberry fan. Mm. Uh, I'm not like normally speaking, and in uh, like times outside of Hanukkah, I'm a fan of like the boutique donut with the like mm-hmm. fancy toppings and stuff like that. But I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to Hanukkah sufganiyot, so just like strawberry filling and uh, sh- powdered sugar, and that's it. Well, you know, it's even more dangerous about the bite-sized ones. They what? definitely have way more calories. <laughs> How come? Uh, because it's a small thing that's frying in oil. So I think it's absorbing more oil and there's like more kind of outside surface area for that mm-hmm. amount of dough. Uh, I know this from checking the nutritional information on Timbits and Donuts and Tim Hortons. <laughs> One Timbit is like a hundred calories, whereas a whole donut is like two hundred and something. Uh-huh. Um, and like, how many donut holes are in a donut? Like five, <laughs> right? So steer clear. <laughs> um, yeah. So as I said, I'm on a diet. I don't think I'll be having any donut, any sufganiyot this year. Maybe I'll have a bite of latkes. That's good. Um, well, I just made some a few days ago, the leavened version with flour, the mm-hmm. Platsky Zemnyachana. They were the, uh, good. Uh, the house potato- smelled like oil. Oh, my God. The sweet potato ones are also great. 
Um, yeah, I'm lighting first candle in my in-laws tomorrow evening. We're going oh, to visit my, my cousin in North Carolina, so we're driving down. Um, I can't believe yeah. they have Jews there. The there are Jews there. You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, waiting for Congress to maybe pass another, uh, another COVID guilt bill. <laughs> More like COVID guilt bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, show Did me you the find... gu- show me the guilt. <laughs> Did you find a menorah for your cousin? I have. Yeah, actually I'm hoping that it gets here before we leave to North Carolina. I ordered it last week. Uh, I got it on eBay. It's just, everything's taking a little longer this yeah. time of year with holiday season ship shipments and stuff um yeah i don't know sent uh birthday birthday sent holiday cards to my family in israel oh that's sweet i hope it, I hope it gets there in time tomorrow yeah. <laughs> sorry um, today <laughs> oh i mean it's a it's an eight uh it's an eight day holiday so. yeah i was just gonna say you have eight days yeah cross everything um well i just want to i didn't well i did over whatsapp actually no we sent a video message but it was my brother's birthday last week um my second gift arrived only a day late because we got him an instant pot but it was not compatible with his lifestyle so (laughs) how does that manifest So I, I got him uh, Mario Party for Nintendo Switch instead, which he said was the perfect gift. And I can't wait to play it. I'm so excited. Yeah, it sounds fun. It's such a fun game. Oh, I'm also finding on my photo stream uh, this really nice series of me lighting a candle every night uh, during Hanukkah, <laughs> holding my hands like Angela Merkel next to the menorah. Oh, I remember that. So I shall be posting a slideshow to our Instagram account later. Yeah, can you just make a post every day with mm-hmm. for eight crazy nights, uh, just with different poses, maybe? <sighs> sure. <laughs> um, I just, just want e- to. They oh. just erected the world's biggest menorah, like on Flatbush or Eastern Parkway, or wherever the Rebbe is. That the Rebbe's Chabad houses. people. Yeah. with their giant uh made of industrial pipe menorahs <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they're so tasteless like and look pared down not even interesting like no no surprise there's uh, anti-semitism in the world <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> there's there's one at the mall near my parents in winnipeg oh it's, really yeah the neighborhood is like uh mainly filipino and like 75 plus uh jews so there's like a christmas tree a giant chessboard, and one of those pipe menorahs it's kind of sad it's sad were we yeah. in toronto last year during hanukkah i recall a foreign country and an outsized <laughs> menorah on public display oh you know what we were there like and you know what we were there uh kind of early november so maybe already just holiday decor went up like that early so it was like because in canada thanksgiving is in october Mm -hmm. so there isn't that like oh we need to wait for thanksgiving to go crazy with the holidays Mm -hmm. it's like november 1st and people are already in like christmas mode and stuff so right 
<sighs> end of year is uh, upon us yeah can't believe it i remember uh my parents were staying with me for a bit right around the holidays and seeing covid on the news <laughs> all the wuhan news and then I drove to Berlin and got food poisoning and was <laughs> from a pizza slice where I puked in the Tom's bathroom. How does that um, happen from a pizza slice? You know how those uh, Berlin pizza slices are? They just sit out like all I day. Do. Those super they, greasy ones, those rectangles. Yeah, those disgusting rectangles. And mm-hmm. um, just remember, I really wanted to go to Burger King, um, but dear friend of the pod, Ika, really wanted to get that pizza slice. <laughs> and he says it wasn't food poisoning because he didn't get sick. But Ika, I know you're listening. It was food poisoning. I'm sorry. But maybe uh, maybe you were a patient X of uh, COVID. It was <laughs> exactly. early COVID. Maybe I was early COVID. And then I had, uh, we ran into some friends there. I had a beer and the first sip of the beer it felt like a science class experiment with like baking soda and vinegar, <laughs> like that sip. I could feel it going down and just like exploding whatever was inside there. <laughs> like a chemical reaction happened. And then like uh, 45 minutes later, I was yeah. so sick and in bed on an air mattress at Ica's for days. And that really set the tone for 2020. So I've it's all my dream- fault. <laughs> I've always dreamed of getting a, some kind of stomach bug and like losing five pounds. <laughs> I did not lose any weight. Uh this is a healthy eating podcast, everyone. We're yeah. not we're not like that other podcast where they have uh self-image body mm-hmm. issues. Um well uh I'm I'm struggling with my uh need to get a Christmas tree this year. Oh. I'm, ha- I'm having a Charlotte conversion <laughs> uh, moment. Well, you are in a multi-faith household. Yeah, buyer's remorse. <laughs> um, I really want a Christmas tree. Don't you should get one. Hear that? I mean, I can't really. Why not? Is it's it like gonna, a fire hazard? No, it's going to bring my God's wrath upon me. <laughs> oh my God. You should get one. I'm actually shocked you guys haven't had one. But you should get like a potted one. They're really cute. And then you I, can plant it somewhere after i can't I'll, I'll truly feel like god is uh watching <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um well, yeah isn't that the point of uh abramaic religions that they're all just kind of plug and play compatible with one another <laughs> yeah but we were the originals and so i feel like what, whatever <laughs> whatever accommodations the following religions made like leave me out of it isn't the christmas tree just like a pagan ritual anyway I guess so. You should get it, and you could have like a really fun decor scheme for it. Maybe a fun color palette. True. Or just go really tacky with like, you know, 10 pounds of tinsel. (laughs) And then Kasha will eat it and vomit. It's just a popcorn chain. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Or or you can make those um, popcorn snowballs. Oh, yeah. Or like with cinnamon sticks, you can make like little log piles. We did that in school. Honestly, I'm just too lazy uh, to do any of that. Are there Maybe even I'll... any Christmas tree sellers out on the street? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. 
Oh, there are. Okay. They're everywhere. Yeah. Maybe I'll put one in my studio. I was telling you yesterday, I, I walked into the studio and the stairwell was totally dark. Um, <laughs> and I, I walked in on uh, three teenagers about to light a doobie oh in, my my, God. <laughs> in my private access to my studio. <laughs> and they were totally startled and they freaked out and they started apologizing and surring me. Um, and uh, they will never be back. I think Ooh. I scared them that much. I scared them off. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about today? I think we should uh, we should maybe try to sum up the year, do a year roundup without addressing COVID. Okay, ignoring COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, well, nothing happened. Nothing uh, happened. I mean, we did get to spend a month together, which was amazing in yeah. Italy. Which doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like years ago. It feels like uh, it no. kind of happened recently. It feels like six months ago. Yeah. Also, I've had so little stimulation in my life these past eight months that like my mind just goes back to the last like stimulating and fun activity that I uh, that I had, and that was our trip to Italy. Yeah. So it feels relatively recent. I had a really fun uh, summer holiday uh, to the sea with Ica, and then we went to Warsaw. Oh, yeah. Uh, that somehow feels like it was longer than six months ago or whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Wait, July, August, September, October, November. It was five months ago, and it feels like a year ago. Right. Uh, but that, that was such a nice time because it almost felt like COVID was over, you know, cause it was summertime and so many activities took place outdoors and you didn't even want to sit indoors anyway. Like you were on patios and at the beach and everything was fine. Uh, we were even in a nightclub, <laughs> even sang karaoke. Oh my God. With uh, friends of the pod, Max and Jillian. <laughs> Nobody got COVID. Um, and then the last couple months have just been terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> with And then just some work sprinkled uh, here and there. That feels like my whole year in review. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the vaccine's coming. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. It's already being rolled out in uh, the UK. They're getting their micro crisps implanted in the <laughs> back of their necks. Uh, I'd like the WAG uh, vaccine, please. <laughs> um, as uh, Nigella Lawson, is that her last name? Yeah, Lawson. As she as she uh, she said today, um, her pronunciation of the word microwave is. Uh, Oh yeah, it's burning up the internet. It's burning How up did she internet. say it again? I can't even remember. Like I listened three times and Mikrowave. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's yeah, she sounds like uh, Miranda's mother. Have you ever seen that show? The uh, that sitcom, the British sitcom Miranda? No, I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. It's hysterical. It's just hysterical. Um yeah, Miranda's this like giant of a lady comedian and there's uh, it's basically all slapstick uh and a lot of like breaking of the fourth wall she talks a lot uh, to the camera and it's just 
it's hysterical. We've been watching it back to back, like on and off for years now. Oh, nice. Um, and it has the the one actress from uh, Notting Hill, I think. No, not Notting Hill, but what's the other? Uh, Br- Br- the Bridget Jones Diary. Oh, yeah. Her best friend or something like that. Uh, I watched them last year, but I don't remember anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, maybe uh maybe uh well it didn't happen this year when Charles Saccia Oh god throttled her in Horrible. public <laughs> Jesus Um Team Team Nigella Yep Uh I've been watching some Jamie Oliver clips on YouTube with my mom. hmm He's got some fun recipes. He's cute. Yeah. He's still I've looking good. I've been watching a lot of Guy Fieri's uh, <laughs> uh, diners. Uh, I forget what that show is called. Diners, drive-ins, and dumps or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, although he's a hero, he's raised over twenty-one million dollars I mean, for the homeless. I don't, I don't get the snooty condescension of Guy Fieri in like the urban urban hubs. Uh, like I like his shows. I like that that grocery store show, the reality cooking show that's set in like a in a soundstage uh, grocery store. And he's like a true man of the people. Yeah, I mean, he looks no different than people in everyone's families or people, you know, we all went to school with or in our communities. So people just need to get over themselves. Yeah, and he's like a jolly, feel good type of guy, like happy go lucky. Uh, yeah, and, and he's like a bear icon. So yeah, basically. suck it, everyone. And fact is, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, like cooking and U.S. cooking and food culture here is that that's what you see on that show. It's no like French, French laundry with uh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a turd! Totally. I mean, as as I've said before on this very podcast. <laughs> poor judgment always yeah, coming exactly. from him. uh yeah no i would rather have all those greasy amazing diner things like the those instagram food videos you send me mm-hmm. than a, a two michelin star meal which i don't think i've ever had like ate anything that's even adjacent to that i have and it was nothing to write home about mm like I grew Granted. up in Israel, I grew up in Israel where cuisine is like uh, you know it's it's resting heavily on like the fresh aspect and uh, yeah. produce and stuff like that. So uh, I'm used to that type of uh, food, yeah. super fresh. Uh, and then I moved to Germany, and it's all about the preservation, I guess, <laughs> or like manipulation of things that have been on a truck coming from Spain over the last week. <laughs> <laughs> I just have like vivid memories of really like gray meals, literally like the yeah. color gray. Um, just a lot of a lot of potatoes and uh, other other sort of discolored um, foods. Yeah, heavy meats. Yeah, I just uh, the preparation's not the best because. Uh, Again, this is a three-peat. Uh, when I was with Ika and Graz, uh, we had such an amazing meal at this restaurant in this new neighborhood. And I would be super happy with the food offerings in Berlin if I could just have that meal all the time that we had. And Right. You know, it was like a, a good, hearty Austrian meal. And 
it just feels like it's not really possible to get that in Berlin, even though it's kind of very adjacent cuisine. So step it up, everyone. Honestly, I feel like it's Berlin specific because the minute you leave the city, you go to Hamburg, you go to Frankfurt, you discover that they're not such you know freaks austerity freaks basically there's like (laughs) they enjoy like life's amenities and convenience outside of berlin and it translates into how they eat like using Uh, a card (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i just i remember like sundays in berlin in our last year we just wanted to have like a day in and do nothing and of course like all the supermarkets are closed and there's no access to anything and the only delivery service that was operating back in the day was joey's pizza oh my god so we'd ordered an extremely overpriced like 12 inch basically margarita with this or that topping for like i don't know 15 euro 17 (laughs) euro whatever and it's like a a cardboard pizza oh joey's Uh, is the worst and it has since been purchased by domino's i think after you moved away yeah um and they've turned all the domino all the joeys into dominoes and you can't actually get a regular domino's pizza at domino's now in germany it's the joey's pizza mm-hmm. and i think my theory is that those like the dough is made and then frozen or something and then sent to the stores yeah which exactly. domino's does not do Mm-hmm. and it is a completely different product it's like if mcdonald's bought another burger chain and change all their burgers it does not make any sense yeah so anyways that two was thumbs our, down yeah that was our depressing sundays in berlin we just wanted to enjoy some american style convenience uh, yeah and, and we only had access to joey's pizza which was disgusting well, I would love like just a regular diner in Berlin, you know, where there's a big griddle behind the counter when you walk in mm-hmm. and there's a, uh, you know, like 12 meals being made at once on yeah. the giant griddle and, and an, an angry, an angry waitress who had yeah. to uh, take the S-bun in from the suburbs <laughs> to from scoff zone. at you. To yell zone at you for, for, yeah, for having ordered the wrong thing in the wrong tone. <laughs> um yeah the hair in your scrambled eggs occasionally yeah where the customer is always wrong yeah <laughs> uh i used to like going to gold spray in my last couple of years oh, i remember meeting I you there yeah i don't know if that's still there it's like an open concept it used to be fun you could just like get a coffee and sit there for for hours but it's it still there yeah but it wouldn't feel it didn't feel like this like uh black hole for creatives who are like you know spinning spinning their own wheels and doing nothing the whole day oh god um i used to go to sankt oberholz quite oh, often oh, that's a I, scene <laughs> that's a scene when i first moved to berlin and i even i was just so tickled by the whole history of the place that i read um berlin alexanderplatz oh my god that uh novel by alfred dublin it was actually written in sankt oberholz in that cafe um and when you go up to the bathrooms to the restrooms upstairs there's a like a loop a recording loop that runs in the background and that's a recitation it's just someone reading the whole book oh my god yeah oh i think last time i saw friend of the pod felix in berlin was at sankt oberholz 
and I remember having cake. Hmm. Yeah, that was good. Because that was never it, my spot. It was. It's more like a. It's a tourist uh, destination. Yeah, but like if if I'm in the area and someone's like, "Oh, let's meet," that kind of has been the one of the only cafes really. Even to this day, it feels like there's a few other random places that have opened up since. But I mean, does it just seems like the most appropriate. Does Berlin still do its like uh, oversized milch cafe soup bowl? <laughs> uh, probably. Remember when the barn was like one of the only cafes in Berlin? Oh my god! With their uh, ev- elaborate siphon machine that takes like ten minutes to produce a lukewarm coffee that tastes like tea, which <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with, but or the the proprietor who will not allow uh, strollers in. <laughs> Honestly, people in that neighborhood were so fucking entitled to begin with that, like disallowing strollers in that place. I had nothing against. I mean, the original one was small, but then that Prince Lauerberg location opened and that place is like an airplane hangar. So mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Oh, well, he popped up on an Instagram ad of mine. It was like, hey, Polish coffee fans, <laughs> you can now get the barn beans on this website. <laughs> Probably overpriced. Isn't that a uh, Australian? No, he's German. Sorry. What's the, what's the Australian chain? Chain with the Australian like thing that opened in Berlin well, the, years ago. Um, Bonanza, maybe? I don't know. Uh, there I'm, used to be one in Neukölln, not so far from uh, where you where you used to live, like around the corner. There used to be an Australian <sighs> cafe. Well, there's Concierge Coffee, which was in Vu, and then they moved, and they're on Weserstrasse, and it's this Australian guy. And there's a lot of Australian coffee places because uh, apparently they invented the flat white. Was and, that? Uh, was was that established by uh, Zola Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I found out from our friend Sam, he he told me that um, Italian immigrants came to Australia and brought coffee culture there, and that's why there's all these coffee nerds. Yeah, also like British people and tea, like get a grip on reality. You didn't invent tea. Oh yeah, colonial. Yeah, it's, it's like. Uh, tea curries and something else yeah yeah um uh, let's see if there's some uh year in review like official year in review listicles we can refer to um oh here's one the art review power 100 presented by bmw group culture (laughs) oh my god i didn't even see that I will look up uh, BMW Group Culture to see what they purport to do. Can they can they get like an English copywriter or I don't know someone to just correct that? <laughs> like BMW Group Culture does not sound like the BMW Group comma culture. Yeah, it it sounds like uh, someone who's in charge of like company morale or something. Like oh BMW God. group culture. Wait, I'm trying to click away all the use of cookies warnings on their website. Um, let's see what they... Uh... Also, before we get to that, who do you think is... 
who like what car contains the worst drivers bmws or audis <laughs> oh definitely bmw also yeah, I think BM- so too general like the general direction and design of bmw has just gone off the rails in the past 10 years it used to be like it used to be innovative i guess in the 70s and then going into the 80s and then it just like derailed into just like a, a eu um officials like um aesthetics <laughs> totally. it's just extremely yeah. bland and now it's with like the a, oversized grill oh yeah the uh, eu mandated safety grill in case you plow into a pedestrian oh, uh you don't <laughs> intentionally <instantly> kill them <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah the design is so stagnant but i mean even in the late 90s and early 2000s that design like it's iconic but also felt really dated yeah um like kim kardashian's first car the the bmw convertible her dad got her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's funny because when you go to other countries there's that sort of natural divide between the nouveau riche like those who get a get a uh uh, a Benz and those who get a BMW and it's usually there's usually a cultural divide within yeah. that group so like in Israel for example BMW is like a uh, it's like a wealth well wealth criminal is across the board but it's like a, it's like organized crime a car of choice <laughs> I will say and a Mercedes Benz is like for like your banker and your, uh-huh. your top tier lawyer how much of this, like, I am not driving one of those cars because of the Holocaust um, support is happening in Israel? It's it's no longer a thing, but I will also not, like, discount how much of a controversy it was for, like, a good decade or two, or even yeah. three, I would say, uh, because uh, reparations were passed in 1950, I think, and it was a huge uproar in the country uh when the government signed that agreement with the the german the west german government mm-hmm. uh and my grandmother for example until the day she died she was on uh she was on the german government dole like she was oh. getting a, a small a small pension um i c- truly cannot imagine the mindset of you know being liberated from a concentration camp and then receiving money from those very same people well, at least she got the money because the uh, forced laborers I've heard of did not get anything. Do not, don't <sighs> get me started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, so this Art Review Power 100 list presented to you by BMW Group Culture, which is like, what, what's their deal? You know, <laughs> I'm going to go on there. I'm gonna go on their fake Instagram account and see what uh, they're promoting. I know they. I know they provide cars for like gallery weekends and oh, right. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. They're trying to do for cars what Absolute did for alcohol and art. Mm-hmm. So their Instagram description says: Discover BMW Group's ongoing commitment to creative cultural initiatives around the world. I'm assuming they're they're set uh in europe yeah they work out of europe um yeah anyway it's not that interesting and how do you how do you want to address this list what's the best way to start talking about it 
okay, so on first glance, I felt like this list uh, does not actually address who is influential or which entities are. It's more like diluting <laughs> themselves or the reader into what should be influential. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think there's ob- obfuscation happening here. <laughs> Let me name a couple of uh, the top-ranking people on this list. So, uh, first place, we have Black Lives Matter. Activist movement, BLM has come to symbolize a global reckoning on racial justice. Number two, runner-up, Ruan Grupa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name correctly. They're the artist collective, uh, the Jakarta-based collective that's um, directing the next documenta. Uh, number three, Felween, Saar, and Benedict Savoy, both academics, arguing the case for decolonizing Western museum collections. I'm all for that. Number four, uh, hashtag me too, viral international movement denouncing sexual harassment and abuse of women. Number five, Fred Moten. Uh, never heard of him, sorry. Academic, American poet, critic, and theorist, inspiring a generation of artists. Number six, Arthur Jaffa. Um, number seven, Glenn Lowry, director of the um, of MoMA. Uh, number eight, Thelma Golden, director of Studio Museum in Harlem. Number nine, Saidia Hartman, professor of English and comparative literature at Columbia University. I'm gonna have to click that to like understand why she's uh, even on the list. And number ten, Judith Butler. <laughs> 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 preeminent american gender theorist um why are you on that list okay that's where yeah that was my second thought when i uh looked at the list i was like that's fake news it is this obviously judith butler is very influential but not the 10th most influential person in the art world Mm -hmm. or art industry or however else you want to phrase it yeah so uh, just to reveal to our listeners, I, uh, for a brief moment in time, I pertain to, uh, I was a member of Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, so when uh, Trump got elected, I kind of like, I'm not going to lie. It felt, it was a weird moment in America and you felt like you wanted to like be on the right side of history. And so like, I felt like I wanted to do some good or just like join some, some, activist group or whatever so i joined jewish voice for peace who like formally and officially advocate for um you know i don't even know if they advocate for a two-state solution um between the israeli israelis and palestinians but they're one of the largest organizations for that cause in north america um and they even invited me to like go to the national members meeting in chicago i guess it was three years ago at this point um and that sort of like opened my eyes to how like aggressively intensely woke the whole thing was uh it's it it was just like that new yorker not new yorker new york magazine dsa expose or something like that <laughs> i don't know if you remember that uh it's basically just a huge like convention center full of extremely guilty white Jews and a bunch of like token POC and Palestinians. And one of the keynote speakers was Judith Butler, who's 
like needless to say extremely eloquent very smart um but like i i'm not even sure i can tell you what my sort of conceptual beef is with judith butler in this context but i'm gonna click the entry and so this year she came at number 10 and her previous ranking uh her previous presence on this list was in 2017. She made it to uh, play it to uh, number 48 on the list. So what suddenly happened in the last two years that she's number 10? Honestly, <laughs> I, I haven't even been reading, like I haven't been seeing her in the news any more often this past year than previous years. She's just like an omni omnipresence in the academic sphere that's bleeding into a public discourse and the arts discourse well it's like if noam chomsky was like number four i'd be like why yeah exactly i mean clearly there's this very visible trend towards the the over intellectualized uh, academy uh sorry i can't pronounce that word turning the arts into sort of an academic academization <laughs> academization <laughs> whatever of the arts and so clearly there's a lot of room on this list and on various lists for uh academics and other thinkers and people who would have made for better better essayists than uh, visual artists yeah um, well, it says, it says yeah. this year butler articulated a role for public intellectuals and artists themselves in asserting the need in an interview for truthout.org, which sounds fake, uh, to expand our ideas about why language, literature, visual arts, history are important for understanding our, wo- our world. That world cannot be reduced to the economy or the nation, and neither is it fully defined by the pandemic. Okay, again, this doesn't, I don't know, address like the way the average person interacts with any of those fields she mentioned but and also i'm sorry it's it's wishful thinking just because you want you want to view the world in those uh in those academic terms uh it's it's wishful thinking it's you sort of constructing a view of reality um doesn't necessarily make it sort of de facto reality yeah um it also feels like a touch outdated i feel like the whole sort of woke revolution um or the uptick the woke uptick of the past four years has kind of not been in lockstep with with reality because like a um you know gender theory and all that stuff like that's that's stuff that i was exposed to when i was a teenager and it felt edgy enough back then to like make you want to look at things differently but like in 2020 it feels I just wish somebody would have introduced a bit more of a like contemporary form of theorization of what we're going through. It's just between like yeah. the four, the past four years of Trump that have been such a like a so crude, uh, like a an intellectual intellectual sort of a uh, simplification of things on that side of the political map, and then on the other other edge of the spectrum, it also felt overly simplified um i'm not sure if i'm making sense yeah um yeah so judith butler made it to uh uh to 
number 10 on the list. And if I scroll up, um, oh, sorry, you're able to like go back to previous year's rankings. And then funnily enough, 2019, uh, top six people on the list are white. <laughs> a, mere, a mere year ago, yeah. uh, with Glenn Lowry at number one, Nan Golden at number two, which all praise to her for her so nan golden is uh for listeners i don't know she's a legendary photographer um who focused i guess an iconoclast iconoclast in the 80s focus was it in the 80s or 70s i think starting the 70s but i think 80s is where she really gained prominence and uh you would recognize her photos if you saw them if you don't know her work she yeah, how would you describe her work? Sorry, I'm kind of... Uh, it's like uh, she photographed her community around her, uh, mm-hmm. people living on the fringes of society, right. uh, a lot of drug use, for example. Yeah, uh, gay, gay subculture, a lot of HIV yeah. focus, sort of stuff that didn't make And it's didn't make documentary photography. Yeah. And she's just been very... So I guess the reason she made it to number two on the list last year is because she was a prominent activist against the uh, uh, the Sacklers and their, uh, their involvement... Purdue Pharma. In, uh, Purdue Pharma and their involvement in the uh, opioid crisis here in America. So all praise to her. Uh, great work at bringing attention to this crisis. And she, I think, was able to get the Guggenheim to uh part ways with the sacklers or is it the met i'm not sure maybe that was jerry saltz's activism (laughs) in the context of the met um Um, i don't know okay so going back to last year's list number three on the list uh ivan and manuela worth um am i mispronouncing his name is it iwan ivan i think like ivan wirt (laughs) oh right like they're german uh, is he Germanic? I think they're Swiss. Ivan oh, okay. Viert, Manuela okay. sounds Spanish. Yeah, but and it's funny I because think Swiss. Uh, yeah, so the two of them, the words have been on the list in 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, 2013, and in fucking 2015 they made a they made it to the very top of the list at number one. Why? Um, I mean, uh, they're like we mentioned earlier this list can't decide if it's what is actually influential or you know what what's like the i don't know the captain of the ship of the art world yeah and like what it should be like is this about like commerce and who's the most powerful and who sells the most or is it the things that we think the art art world should be Right. So, you know, some more holistic values. And I think that's the problem with this list every year. It feels like up until this year, this list was all about capturing like ex- uh, um, expansionist trends and whoever like uh, trailblazed those. So, I guess the reason they made it uh, onto the list, the words, is because of their um, global expansion last yeah. year like the the furthering of the global expansion i'm like bravo like <laughs> yeah um but, but it's but then it's like you know uh 
But then the same year, Mark Glimcher, gallerist, president and CEO of Pace Gallery, was number 23. So right. it's like they're kind of on the same level as major galleries. Why is one so high and one's not? Right. Um, and, and then num- number four on the list, and I'm, I'm, I'm back in uh, 2019, is uh, Hito Styro, which I'm probably watching uh, her last name. And she's been consistently on the list ever since um, 2013. And in 2017, she topped the list. <laughs> which I'm I... Gonna, I'm going to mince my words and bite my tongue on this entry. But I will just say that last year when we both uh, spent a uh, a week in Toronto, we went to see her survey at the, uh, was that at the National Arts Gallery? What is it called there? Oh, that was at the AGO, the Art Gallery of Ontario. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's just say we spent a mere brief, <laughs> a mere brief moment whisking through the galleries of her survey um it was like data stylized i don't know into video those blocky sculpture installation things yeah and but then we wound up at the uh at the collection of the gallery and it had the uh what's the is it like the fabulous seven i forgot what it's called the (laughs) oh the the gorgeous four the what? <laughs> what are they called <laughs> the group of seven a group of seven yeah which uh i was never a fan and that really opened my eyes seeing so many of those works uh i really love them i yeah. it's not something that i taught you in school in canada no we did and i just it's just something that always pops up you know it's their kind of some of the most famous Canadian artists, but it's something from like a hundred years ago. So, right. And then was the, was the Henry Moore exhibition at the same space? Or oh was yeah. That those in, were amazing. Those were incredible. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're, we're boring and conservative. <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Just like COVID I'm waiting for all current trends in the art world to, uh, to pass. No, the Henry Moore's were amazing. Like incredible. Was that a permanent exhibition or was that a traveling show? No, I think they were in the collection and there were, weren't there studies and like, it wasn't just finished there work. Were some but, studies. Yeah. Just yeah. gorgeous. So beautiful. But yeah, exactly. It's something that, you know, you see in a photo and okay, yeah, they're whatever they're of their time, but in person, just the, the scale and the composition of them. And yeah, they were moving. I mean, wait, wait, what makes you say that they're of their time? Uh, no, I just mean like when you see it in a photo, I'm not, if I only ever saw them in photos, I wouldn't be like, oh, this is amazing. Or this is, uh, a sculptor I love. But when you see them in person at that scale, Mm -hmm. I think it makes a a really big impact. Right. I feel like his whole sort of semi-abstract approach to the body is where you should go for reference, uh, for this whole you know subject matter because the stuff i see these days about quote unquote the body the body is, is a i just say facsimile a uh yeah a uh faded carbon copy of greater work of uh previous generations and henry moore is just uh yeah i don't even know i don't even know how to praise him because it's such a it's such a, con- a uh, yeah, conventional sort of uh 
conservative choice. Yeah, but uh, I mean, again, they're from around 100 years ago. They feel more contemporary than all this kind of zombie figurative work. Right. So, I don't know. We love you, Henry. We love you. Um, okay, so going back to the list, we have in 2019, David Zwerner. Uh, this year... Oh my God! So he's been he's been on the list quite understandably. So uh, ever since the list uh, was started, and I'm assuming 2003, which is when the graph uh, dates back to the historical graph. Um, so he was present on the list every single year, and uh, I guess he topped it in 2018. Uh, went down to number five in 2019, and all of a sudden, 2020, he's at number 30. Which again, uh, fake. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry, this is one of the top dealers in the world. Right. Uh, how can you say this person's number 30 suddenly after being number five the year before? I wonder if Larry Gagosian had anything to do with it because in 2020, he's at uh, spot number 29 with Zwerner <laughs> under him at 30. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, and it's funny yeah. because I'm, lo- I'm looking at Gagosian's uh, track record on the list, and he's topped the list one, two, twice uh, throughout its history. Um, I guess he lost uh, favor with those list makers in 2020 <laughs> who feel like there's things more sort of pertinent to shine a light on. But how uh, is Wolfgang Tillman's higher than David Swerner? <laughs> What's his standing been historically? Uh, he's always too high. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, actually, not sorry. But also, <laughs> how is Judith Butler 20 spots higher than David's Werner? Like, we're talking about the art world and influence and who has power. And obviously, this the whole idea of a power list is fucked up. But if you're talking about, like, okay, who's the most powerful in the art world? David's Werner is a de facto like engine of like what is hot and what is not because if something is being exhibited at that gallery it's like that's how that whole machine is running i mean i don't know at this point that these uh blue chip galleries are any agent for you know cutting cutting edge revelations well i don't think any of this is actually I think there's lots of ways to look at it. Like if I, like I mentioned this to you earlier, but if I think about like an art student in art school now, I don't even think most of these people are on anyone's radar. Except the ones that are like obsessively like online and like, oh, I love Hito or something. Like I think if I went, I don't know, talk to some kids, they probably wouldn't even know who most of these people are. Right. They probably just have like a completely different reference point of what they think is influential or cool or like the kind of work they want to make. Mm-hmm. And also I feel like, uh, j- you know, joining one of those blue chip galleries, it, it effectively embalms your, your current uh, phase of your career. Yeah. It, like you join the sort of the, the big boys club, but it forever will sort of uh, freeze that moment you joined it. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And you can't move on in most cases because no one wants to buy the thing that doesn't look like the thing you're known for. Yeah. 
especially at that price point. Uh, number 33 on the 2020 list, a first-time entry for uh, Julia Storschek. Uh I hope I haven't mispronounced her last name. Collector, yeah, manu- <laughs> collector manufacturing, <laughs> Harris, billionaire collector, international muse- museum trustee, and uh, omitted from this description is her um, piecing out on uh, Berlin and one of its hardest moments in um, cultural history with the closing down of her collection in the city. Is that correct? Yeah, because the collection was in Dusseldorf before and then moved to Berlin. No, it was in Dusseldorf and then it moved to Berlin, moved into a building that used to be, I believe, a, a Czech cultural center or something, Czech Slovakian cultural center or something along those lines. Um, and the city or the state won't sell her the building, which she wanted apparently. Uh, and so she has to move out cause they sold the building. That's what I've heard. I don't have, you know, the full story, but, uh, you know, she's apparently, a a billionaire heiress from a auto manufacturing family, with some controversial, you know, 1930s, 1940s ties, allegedly. So, you know, I think when you're that wealthy, you can afford literally any building in Berlin. Because we're not talking about, like, uh, New York prices mm-hmm. to buy real estate. And when she announced that the, the uh, collection is leaving Berlin... Some other collectors also caused some sort of brouhaha that they weren't being appreciated. Uh, And I made a Facebook post where I said, oh, poor rich people. Uh, And then started fighting with a person who will be nameless. (laughs) I wonder what uh, got her to uh, be mentioned in this list this year. Well, you know, she's a she's a media art collector, time based work, <laughs> and because uh, you know it's not something easy to sell like paintings. It's um, for smart people because it's time based. She needs to get a medal of honor from the queen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. I appreciate that she's engaged with this format that's not the easiest to sell or to the or to support and friends of mine have exhibited there and i'm happy for them Mm -hmm. um but just this whole thing where like she's apparently dating um according to the internet uh someone in axel springer media and this story leaked to one of the Axel Springer media publications. <laughs> Are those the German Murdochs? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and the whole thing is just so absurd. It's like, look, in this time we're living in where most artists have a very difficult time just paying the bills and getting by uh, or even gallerists or other arts professionals are hanging by a thread constantly you are so wealthy and being a crybaby about like the city not bending over for you right like get a life i wonder if this entry was paid for 
I mean, to a certain extent, I think the P- the heavy PR machinery behind some of the people on the list uh, well, is there definitely is. A, con- a contributor. She's, uh, you know, uh, what I've heard that the collections advise or maybe one of the board members is Klaus Biesenbach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've been on the KW board together, right. all that sort of stuff. Like, it's just this whole upper echelon of elites. Um and like I'm not gonna shed a tear that Berlin didn't give you what you wanted. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, there, there's so few artists, like actually refreshing artist entries on this list. So yeah, I but just, there's very few artists. Yeah, I just filtered it through uh, artists' appearances on this list, and number six, as I, as I mentioned, Arthur Jaffa. 16, Steve McQueen, 17, Cecilia Vicuña, uh, 18, Hito Stero. Um, I'm honestly embarrassed to like admit that I don't even recognize some of the names on this list. Titus, sort- t- Titus Kafar? No idea. What were you saying? But again, it's like, so why is Simone Lee the first black woman to represent the U S at the Venice Biennale number 49. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But then it's like, Oh, here's just like an artist who's successful. It's like, yeah, she's also successful. And what's happening now for her is much more meaningful than just like Wolfgang Tillman's made like pro EU posters again. It's funny the the first list uh, they published in tw- uh, two thousand four. I just uh, filtered uh, filtered it to only show artists, and there's only three of them on the list: Maurizio uh, Catalan, Olafur Eliasson, and uh, Kai Guo Kyung. Probably mispronouncing his name. Um, I don't know why this list is so so light on artists. I don't know. And then like Ai Weiwei is number 69 and it's just like squeaky wheel ambulance chaser. Yeah. And also it's funny that like most, most of the years the included artists are primarily and predominantly white. Um, Like 2006, Richard Prince, Jeff Wall, Thomas Hirschhorn, Pierre Hui, I can't, can never pronounce his name. Uh, <laughs> Neil Rauch, great. Ai Weiwei, <sighs> Kiefer. Um, let's see at what, at what point in history did this, uh, this become a little more diverse. Not as of 20, uh, 2011, where I am at now. <laughs> well, okay, so then there's another funny list that we can uh, mention. Mm-hmm. The artsy list. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let, let me get that tab open. Is that the art <laughs> movements of the 2010s? No, it's Artsy's The Most Influential Artists of 2020. I also oh, went I back to 2019, mm-hmm. again, just to compare. Wait, can you send me the link to that 2019 list? Yeah. Um, yeah, this seems to be much more of a modest list, the 2021 <laughs> Well, the 2020 list um, has our favorite artist on it, Amir. Mm-hmm. Which one? Um, Nicholas Party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda's twin brother. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Let's see who else is on the list. Deanna Lawson, who just won the Guggenheim Prize, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, Frank Bowling, a well-deserved spot on the list. I don't know if Artsy's list is, like, where do they... Artsy's list, again, is all over the place. It's like Matthew Wong is on the list. And I wouldn't say that's one of the most influential artists of 2020. It's... Uh, no, the, the one posth- of the saddest stories of yeah. 2020. Yeah, the posthumous exploitation of Matthew Wong is uh, what got him on that list, and that's no, that's no positive tale. Yeah, it's uh, a sad story of like lecherous vultures. Yeah. Um, I honestly yeah, don't even recognize half of the artists on this list. Yeah, and then also, why is Ruth Asawa on this list? Like, I like. I might have missed some cultural moment in 2020, but like we do have the stamps at home that the US USPS uh, <laughs> uh, started selling, and I saw her work at the Whitney's, I guess, earlier this year. But I was never a big fan of those, like whatever you want to call what she makes. But then the 2019 list is hilarious because it's just like it's like someone just used a Google search chart for like mm-hmm. the top 10 searches related to art because yeah. it's like. Jeff Koons, Yayo Kusama, um, like those artists that did the beach thing at the Venice Biennale. I feel like the 2019 list was uh, was put together by Anna Delvey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause. <laughs> like, again, just because you your work's really expensive doesn't mean you're a top influential artist. Yeah. Artist. Or like uh, Yoshitomo Nara, your favorite artist. Oh my god! <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know that name, uh, you've seen the postcard. <laughs> Sterling Ruby. I'm sorry, Sterling Ruby is not a top influential artist of 2019. <laughs> no, he's not. There's such a mismatch between uh, how those people are, you know, represented in the uh, art media. And what their actual sort of uh, standing and effect is in the art world. Oh, um, like I like I like Sterling Ruby's work, but yeah. uh, has it been blown out of proportion in terms of exposure? Yes, yes. Um, Hilma Hilma Af Clint. Uh, do I wish I saw the show? Yes. Uh, do I think this was one of the top most influential artists of twenty eighteen? No. No, of course not. And uh, you know, the Guggenheim keeps uh, keeps saying it's been you know the most visited show in 2019, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yes, of course, it was also the longest running show in your museum's history. It was like up for six months or so, which it's hard to like understand in this COVID moment. But museum shows usually don't run yeah. that long. Um, and like, I get that there's this like a uh, spirituality moment, uh, at least in North American uh institutional shows now and also with the whole feminism thing but like just fucking show some like religious artists i feel like there's such a walking uh, a fine line of like um you know unearthing yeah. unknown names from like uh early days of feminism and spirituality but like you know that uh, there's just a lot of art out there that's done by people who are just spiritual and <laughs> religious there's no like you didn't discover or reinvent yeah, the yeah. wheel by like showing a an underrepresented spiritual artist essentially yeah 
Olafur Eliasson, uh, glorified lamp maker and um, <laughs> uh, pop and lock dance artist. Uh, maybe we'll post the video on Instagram. <laughs> What's that? I'm not seeing it on the list. Oh, he's on the 2019 list. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at a best break dancers list um, <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> Sorry, I closed that tab and now I'm back to 2020. <laughs> uh, wait, now I'm now I'm looking up the 2019 one. Carol Walker, Justified. Uh I will say she's uh generally speaking an uneven artist in terms of her quality. Ugh, I uh, like clearly not everything uh she creates is perfect and amazing as is uh presented to us uh all of her license work like that just reminds me of like so i went to Utica, uh and it just reminds me of the like the what's it fucking called now i'm forgetting the like visual communications like assignments that we would get yeah. in school the like taba arbach like oh like rgb uh experiments and all for license like uh um manipulating lights and stuff like that that's just yeah it's it's art for architects it's like uh no, I'm it's bored. like a it's like a science museum exhibit yeah. um yeah i saw the show in berlin years ago which one uh olafer oh was that in uh i think i saw that too where was <sighs> it maybe martin gropius bow i think yeah, yeah i think it was there i don't know uh, i think he's just such an overrated artist it's like it's like, why do you have this like giant workshop of students? Like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know that he's overrated, but he's just too big to fail. Yeah. Like some of the other ones in his stature. Actually, you know what really poisoned the well for me was his fucking iceberg. <laughs> yeah, that was really just like clueless. Yeah. For those clueless. of you who don't know what we're talking about, he... uh I don't know, dragged an iceberg somewhere to at a massive expense. Uh, yeah. To tell and us carbon, about global warming. Cause we haven't yeah. heard about it yet. And the carbon footprint on that art stunt was uh, <laughs> yeah. off the charts. Yeah. I gotta say though, that huge inflatable cause figurine that he floated in, where was it? <laughs> I don't know. Hong Kong or something. That was pretty cute. Anyway, I think in 2020, <laughs> we're at a point where we don't need more lists. <laughs> no Whether more it's lists. these lists. Yeah. Can we uh, stop focusing on who's powerful and who's not? Yeah, exactly. No more lists. We should start uh, introducing uh, yearly allotments and a lottery for several <laughs> art mediums, such as performance art, video art, dance yeah we need to <laughs> dance we need to close down most of the like the intellectual labs the yeah. like super heady um artist residencies for essayists and other academics yeah. we need to start paring down yeah theory needs to have a real life effect on people's lived actual lives and experiences yeah exactly I mean, in your in your application process to any program moving forward, you should be able to prove some empirical sort of benefit uh, to your theory. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't get accepted. Yeah. 
Uh, women are underpaid, uh, lack access to health care, uh, reproductive rights, uh, are often at the hands of abusive partners. Let's somehow deal with these issues, mm-hmm. not abstract academia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, no, no female... Uh, department state or like head of the joint chiefs is gonna introduce the revolution upon us uh there's uh, i see a lot of thirst out there to just you know see a war criminal that looks more like you in terms of skin color and gender um so I'm hoping for a little more nuance and complex discourse in 2021 which I slightly suspect is not gonna happen <laughs> um, oh i mean especially with the biden administration also just generally speaking i don't see how the sort of the internet revolution has brought upon us like enlightenment yeah well maybe mayor pete buddha judge will get in the administration and there will be a queer person so uh, I think he's <laughs> kind of hot. Gross. I do. <laughs> I think his wife is not very attractive. <laughs> God, it just clicked last week that uh, Chasten has the same last name as him, which Chasten Buttigieg. Yeah, I that somehow just went over my head for like the last year, mm-hmm. and only last week did I have the. Uh, kylie jenner realization uh that they have the same last name that's crazy maybe maybe uh you should change your last name too yeah (laughs) it's funny i've i've been reading gore vidal's uh burr it's a part of his american empire series and um that book that novel focuses heavily on george washington and Gore Vidal, being the cunt, the cunty writer that he is, spends so much st- so much time talking about Washington's effeminate sort of physique. He allegedly had a very a very uh, voluptuous uh, ass and was pretty hippie <laughs> <laughs> in the waist, and was I guess also booby had man boobs or something like that. Anyways, there's just a lot of like. A lot of these descriptions in the novel of his uh, femininity. I don't know why, but Chasen made me think of it. So sorry for veering into that. It's okay. Um, Yeah. (sighs) That was uh, maybe bleak. Yeah, that was bleak. (laughs) Hoping and also very optimistic that 2021 uh, will just be better altogether. Uh, Probably not because of the arts, but it's just going to be better. Yeah, I really hope so in every way. Um, and also, can I ju- can I just say the zombie zombie art fair that just I guess uh, ended in Miami? Good luck to you, people. Like, I hope nobody down there caught COVID because it seemed like a lot of escapists, jet setters. Oh my god, were just dying to resume some sense of uh, normalcy and went down there and it seemed not only sad but also still very dangerous <laughs> an activity to participate in yeah well uh our favorite column wet paint uh 
in our Bible, Artnet News, Nate Freeman went down to uh, pitter-patter on the ground and see what's happening. Sounds risky, if you ask me. Yeah. Any uh, any highlights from that uh, article? Uh, apparently, our favorite gay bar twist is open. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Um mm-hmm. Things seemed very pared down. Um, and basically, we're not missing out on anything. So we had no, an amazing time last year. Yeah. And even last year, we didn't miss out on anything. And we were there. There's yeah, exactly. So much, there's so much noise. Yeah, there's so much noise. Um, but yeah, I just love the weather. Love walking around in some, uh, you know plastic Birkenstocks and a fun shirt Mm -hmm. getting some Cuban food. Ooh, going to checkers. Remember when we got checkers? That was good. Yes. I honestly, (sighs) I don't miss the convention center down there. Yeah. Um, But the ice palace was fun. Like where the uh, ice palace was fun. Nada happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have two more weeks until the end of the year. So I mean, two more episodes this year, so we can still cover some other kind of fun 2020 highlights, if if there were any. So if anyone has any uh, questions or suggestions, maybe we'll talk about some of our favorite uh, songs or music videos, things like that. Yeah, share with us your highs and lows of 2020 minus COVID. Yeah, we don't want to hear anything COVID related. I think we, yeah. Or as the British call it, COVID. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Maybe we'll talk and, about uh, Dua Lipa. Yeah, Jewer Lipper. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Jewer Lepper. Jewer <laughs> Lepper. Uh, and I will just say that I've been enjoying Sean Mendez's new album tremendously. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's such a... Just a a feel good like glossy eyed album uh it's been definitely it's been one of my sort of positive surprises of the past month because miley's been pretty disappointing to me i had high Mm. expectations for that album and um with sean mendez's um career sean mendes my bottom um <laughs> i've just never gotten into the music but the new album is kind of a very just a, a very nice surprise good work well i was gonna say i think he's been upgraded from our favorite bottom to our favorite verse because the album is very versatile so it is versatile and now that he's lost the little uh the little sort of definition uh and his muscles that he used to have he's just like a he's just a skinny he's not a bro he's not a dude he's how would he's you, him how would you, he's him yeah and he just strikes me as a genuine um just like tender personality um i don't know i like him same yeah so that's my weekly recommendation listen to sean mendez's new album wonder uh featuring a very bad collab with justin bieber (laughs) and i think there's a bonus track uh with his former beard camila cabello 
uh, there's a Christmas song. Uh, I heard they're getting engaged. <laughs> what? Yeah. Didn't they break up? Yeah, but like... Oh, God. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah, definitely one of the uh, one of the instances where the woman's less attractive than the man. Yeah. It's the Christmas song, Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello. Mm-hmm from fifth harmony i wish they would get back together actually oh my god baby i'm worth it once they reopen the strip joints <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Wait, let's see what my recommendation of the week is uh mm-hmm. in terms of uh audio visuals <laughs> um hmm. Ooh. You know what? Listen to Azealia Banks and a Wintour. That's that, that and uh, Miley's "The Climb" are my pick-me-up songs. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling blue like me today, I have my mood lamp on. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a bad mood lamp or a good mood lamp? It's trying to make me feel better. But you know uh-huh. what? Talking to you made me feel better. Oh, same. Well, on that note, so things don't get any worse for us, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wish you a very merry Hanukkah, full of light, new beginnings, and uh, deep fried num-nums. Oh, likewise, I hope, your, uh, I hope your lamp makes it to the eighth day. Me too. Let's defeat the Maccabees. Together we can do it. <laughs> All right. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Choosy. Choose. Choose.